When was the last time you spoke with Cassian Andor? The very worst thing you can do right now is bore me. You're not gonna believe me anyway, are you? No. I suppose not. She's all yours, Dr. Gorst. Bucketheads, Mavar Chigar. Welcome to the 181st incalculably inscrutable ISB evading episode of Mandovision. Nargai Tom, and thank you so much for checking out this small, independent Star Wars podcast. Remember, the best way to find us is, of course, on social media. We are at Mando underscore Vision on Twitter and Instagram. You can email the show, MandovisionTom at gmail.com. Please be sure to like, subscribe, share, and a follow this podcast with all the Mandalorians in your covert. How is everyone doing? We are back for another exciting installment of Andor Wednesday, which doesn't quite roll the tongue the way I want it to, uh, but you know maybe we'll workshop that before season two comes out. We'll we'll see what's happening there. Uh, uh, just another just gripping installment of this show. As uh, you know, I made the I made the the, the 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 metaphor, the reference, the comparison last week that they just they, they just ratchet that tension just like a, a, a notch or two just slowly making it more tense every time you watch it and then the way they open this episode with Bix and Deidre Marrow engaging in, in, in what would be the precursor to what I can only imagine was an unbearable torture sequence um, <laughs> and oh oh man we really go for it in in this episode. It, it again, we, we sort of we draw a, 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 a sort of a, an end point uh, in this three episode arc, uh, and, and we sort of also end the second act of this first season here, as as these final three episodes that we're gearing up for uh, uh, promise to be again even more intense, even more action oriented, and and I, I can only imagine what what. What awaits us in these final three episodes of the first season here for Andor? Uh, it's going to be 
intense. So really, really excited to get into this episode with you all. Uh, I do have to do... Uh, I, I, hey, listen, I am a, a fallible human person. I make mistakes. Sometimes things uh, slip by, and I, I'm not... I miss, I miss things, and I, I own that. And that's why I have to admit to two omissions uh, in this episode. I want a little, a little bit of oversight. Got to go back and correct a couple of things. On my first viewing of last week's, we, 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 excuse me, last week's episode, uh, one of the actors in the scene looked familiar, but that happens a lot on this show. You know, the, the, the cast of Andor, it's a, it's a largely uh, a large cast of British actors. I enjoy British television, so I just assume I've seen them in something. Whether it's it's Game of Thrones or Luther or something in the middle, um, I'm, I'm always feeling like oh, well, I probably saw him in something. I did not catch that that Duncan Duncan Powell had returned uh, to to play Mel- Melshi, uh, who we we met initially in Rogue One as one of the one of the troopers who goes to Scarif with Andor and and the rest of the Rogue One team. Uh, so this is obviously their first encounter. They they get to serve prison prison time together, which leads me to believe that Melshi will make it out with Andor when the inevitable prison escape begins. So I wanted to kind of get that out there. Yes, indeed, in case you didn't notice it, in case it slipped by you and you, you weren't sure, that is Melshi from Rogue One, who is uh, working the table with Andor. He gets a lot more screen time in this particular episode, so you probably, it probably jumps out to you more in this one, uh, particularly because I think they use his name more too, which also helps. And when they use names, it really does help cement things. But uh, yeah, I figured that out on the second viewing uh, of last week's episode, and I was like, oh, darn it. So I had to make a note of that real quick. Uh, and then the other omission, the, uh, a, a correction. Uh, sometimes I get a little, like, I can get that little narrow laser beam focus on, on something, and I'm like, ooh, I want it to be this. I want it to be this. Uh, because I like it when, when Star Wars goes back and, and does brings back some of the old uh, Expanded Universe stuff. And, and sometimes that can be a blind spot for me. And this was a major blind spot for me. We had seen uh, a... a in, in small doses, the sort of the head of the ISB. And I, I'd like to think I'm a, a fairly tuned-in Star Wars fan more often than not. But I got so focused on the idea that they maybe like, oh, maybe they'd bring in like the Yassards uh, and let them head up the ISB. Even, knowing in the back of my head, in the back of my head, it was in there. It just, it, I just, like I said, I got so excited about the idea of bringing in uh, Director Isard, that I totally forgot that it's actually Admiral Yularen uh, is in charge of the ISB, uh, and I did go and confirm that with various sources, uh, aka the internets, uh, that confirmed that, yes, indeed, that is Yularen, who, uh, if you're doing your, our Star Wars The Clone Wars rewatch episodes with us, you know who he is, uh, and, and Dave Filoni has, has sort of set all these things in motion, and Dave Filoni, you know, says he's at the table in the Death Star, you know, he's in a new hope. Uh, so yes, it, that a little, I was hoping for a little wish fulfillment, even though the answer was staring me right in the face. So that's out there. Like I said, mistakes were made, but I own those mistakes. And, and now we move forward and we get into the next episode of Andor, uh, because it's a, it's kind of a turning point episode in, in many, many senses. Like I said, this three episode arc kind of comes to an end and it acts as sort of like our dividing line for the end of the second act of the show. Uh, I can, like I said, I can only imagine what the third act of season one has in store for us. Holy smokes. Uh, let's go ahead and get into our particulars. So Andor, season one, episode nine, nobody's listening. 
original air date today, November 2nd, 2022. Written once again by Bo Willimon, directed by Toby Haynes, and, and just just doing a phenomenal job uh, in, in, these, in these episodes here. Toby Haynes is really uh, setting a, a dark, atmospheric, moody tone uh, for, for the scenes that he's shooting here, particularly uh, our Narkina, when you're in ISB headquarters, uh, the, just a lot of atmosphere in all these all these scenes, and 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 uh, the think about what's going on in Ferrix and the way that that atmosphere has changed from the original from the, from the first three episodes of the series. There's a t- completely different vibe to Ferrix now that the Imperial presence is 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 there and stronger, and and basically suppressing freedom. <laughs> so, and and Toby's really I think bringing that to life in in a really strong visual way uh our plot for this week's episode under intense scrutiny while imprisoned cassian makes allies and plans an impossible escape our our principal cast this week diego luna is cassian andor genevieve o'reilly is mon mothma andy circus is kino loy and those are sort of our our principal players uh, uh, uh denise goff as as Deidre Mero, our other big player for the week uh, uh, and, and everyone just again bringing their a game. Uh, this I think this is the first episode we where we get not even a glimpse of Stellan Skarsgård as as Luthen Rael. So we're we're really kind of pulling back from that element of it, even though that storyline is very strongly felt uh, in in Deidre's pursuit of what she, who she's calling access. You know, the buyer is is also the the word used a lot in this episode. So those are sort of our principles. Uh, and now we are ready to dive into the episode proper, and you know what that means. It's time. Strap on your buckets. Let's go. What's important for our purposes here today is that the massacre of the Dizonites was broadcast and recorded as proof of mission. They make a sound as they die, a sort of choral, agonized pleading. It's quite unlike anything anyone had ever heard before. There were three communications officers monitoring the documentation, and they were found, hours later, huddled together in in various states of emotional distress in a crawl space beneath the ship's bridge. We've taken the recordings and modified them slightly, layering, uh, adjusting, and we've found a section of what we believe are primarily children, which has its own particular effect. So how... Frickin' cruel <laughs> does that sound? That the empire that the empire has figured out a way to weaponize the death cries of of an alien species, and and like there's a party at least for me when I'm watching I'm like I'm like maybe this is like he's just this is like some kind of like psychological warfare they're conducting right here. They're just trying to scare Bix into into spilling her guts like everything she knows about the buyer about Cassian and all these things. I was like this this couldn't possibly be a real story. This is this is absolutely horrifying. No, no, not so fast, my friends. Uh, <laughs> when when the empire has this as this world the uh, the galaxy's scariest pair of beats headphones and they plop them onto your head and and we as the audience don't get to hear the sound. I think that makes it even more terrifying about how real it is uh, because you just get to watch you know, the wonderful actor playing Bix emote, just have it all written across her face, the absolute terror and horror that she's being exposed to. Uh, and, and again, you know, the, the, the first bunch of episodes of this show have been so interesting to me as, as we've sort of explored uh, the Empire on almost like a bureaucratic level. 
uh, sort of like the, like almost like the paper pusher, pu- the pencil, pu- the paper pushers and the pencil, pu- whatever. <laughs> The desk jockeys of the Empire, right? No, no, no. Now we're getting into like the nitty-gritty of the ISB as sort of an, an analog for the SS in, in old Nazi Germany, right? This is terrifying, scary stuff. Deidre Marrow uh, just going for full gusto to get the information she needs to protect and, and, and defend the Empire in the best way that she sees fit, which is, is to... Um, just destroy the minds of people. Uh, and, um, she did it. She did it earlier. Uh, 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 with with oh gosh, what was the guy's name? I already forgot it. Um, Pack. She got Pack with that. We saw the remnant. Of what, what shape he was in at the end of last week's episode. Now she's gonna do the same thing to to Bix with the assistance of Doctor Gorst, uh, and he, he's talking about. What the Empire did to the Dizon Frey, a, an alien species who had the audacity to not be super stoked when their planet was chosen for like an Imperial uh, refueling depot, um, just, just, <laughs> just holy smokes! And what's what's sort of neat is, um, I should neat's not the right word, but <laughs> I totally I totally lost my train of thought by saying the wrong word right there. Holy smokes! But uh, I, I like that we're seeing it's, – it's interesting to me that we're exploring the different methodologies of, of torture that the Empire seems to have under its, under its sway. Um, it's not – you know, when, when we were first exposed to Star Wars, like what did we have? We had a torture droid with a, a scary needle, and that was scary because like, who likes needles? Especially long, long, super long ones, super pointy, super sharp. Needles. Not a fan. And, you know, we never really know. I mean, we assume the needle went in the arm, but for all I know, they're poking that needle in your eye. And then they do something similar to Han Solo on Bespin. More needles. Sparks in that one, too. Uh, this is sort of a different thing. And, you know, we got a little taste of, of other methods of extracting information uh, from Saw Gerrera in Rogue One with, with, with Borgullet. And this this is might be the most horrifying thing <laughs> that we've seen thus far in the empire, in the empire's arsenal of of information extraction, uh, and and again, I use the word interesting uh, cautiously, uh, but the information they get from this particular method, they they believe it to be true uh, because of the the psychological uh, trauma that the person's put through. That they are completely, according to to empire the empire's research, apparently, they are compelled to tell the truth. So they're not lying. They're not spinning tales. They believe there's a veracity to the information they extract with this process, uh, and it's just it's just terrifying to think that they have more people like like Dr. Gorst in their employ and are finding new ways to uh, to, to to extract information from potential rebels. And you know, it, <laughs> just whew, holy smokes, uh, we do get a little bit more background information. You know, Deidre Romero has been hard at work here, putting the, the pieces together, trying to paint the picture, trying to trying to put the pieces together of the puzzle of who is the mysterious buyer, who is Axis, uh, and and we learned from the interrogation of, of Pack that we didn't see, but she she kind of tells us the goods here. It sounds like Clea was the one who recruited Pack initially, got him the fractal comm unit, uh, and then after only one meeting. With with uh, with access, quote unquote, uh, everything was kind of turned over to Bix, and and so they know, they know that Bix has met with with Luthen, aka Access, aka the buyer, 
at least six times face to face. So she has the information. Uh, and it also seems that they've deduced that she is also uh, the strongest link to Cassian Andor as well. Um, another element of this, when they go back, when, when Deidre goes back to Coruscant, to ISP headquarters, and is giving uh, the report to General Major Partagas, uh, talking about how at first one of the other supervisors uh, sort of questions, like, why didn't you question uh, his mother? Why didn't you get her involved? And, I mean, she just puts it out there. Like, A, she's old and frail, and it probably wouldn't survive the process. But also, she's bait. Like, if Andrew's going to come back to Ferrix, it's going to be for her. So so Marva is now unwilling, unknowingly the bait that the Empire wants to use to catch Andor um, should he make his way back to Ferrix. Again, they still have no idea that they already have him in their possession. Uh, so that will be... That, oh, I can't wait to explore the bureaucratic red tape of, of that situation when when I, I can only assume the by, by the time the, the by the time Deidre Mero and the ISB deduce that they have Andor in custody already will be right about the time <laughs> that that the escape is happening on uh, Narkina Five is it, sort of where I'm going with that train of thought. But a lot of interesting stuff here. Uh, we we spent a lot of time with Deidre Mero in this episode. We we go back and forth between the three main elements of the story. We 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 were with Mero, we are with, uh, we are with Cassian on Narkina Five, and we're with Mon Mothma a lot in this episode too. There's a lot of really interesting Mon Mothma stuff in this episode, um, and on and ISB stuff too. Like this is definitely an episode that makes sure that you're paying attention to names and things that were mentioned in earlier episodes, because if you weren't, you might sort of be like, wait, what are they talking about now? Good idea. To Kate. I like this show with captions on, <laughs> because I, then I'm reading the name as well as hearing it, so it's sticking in my brain a bit better, so when they start talking about things later in this episode, you're like, oh my gosh, they're talking about that situation that they were that, that they're trying to get Saw Gerrera involved in last week. But we'll get to that. We'll talk about that element to, of the show uh, in, in a little tiny bit here. I want to I talk a little bit now uh, about Mon Mothma's situation in this episode. So let's do that. So the Mon Mothma portion of this episode I, I found to be very, very interesting uh, because it's a lot of... Uh, 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 <laughs> it's a lot of Mon versus elements of the, of the show, right? You have Mon versus the Senate, Mon versus Perrin and her daughter once again. Uh, Mon and Vel, then you got Mon and, and Takehoma. A lot of stuff going on for, for Mon Mothma's portion of this episode. Uh, particularly interesting was seeing her in the Senate. I, I loved getting to explore that. The fact, I mean, we've seen her addressing the Senate before, uh, but there was the situation in Aldhani that happened. So when, when, the, when the Senate's rushing out and ignoring her, uh, you, you sort of understand the whys of that because there was all of a sudden there was a, an attack against the Empire, right? Someone had lashed out against the Empire in, a, in an unheard of way at that point. Uh, this time you get to see the, the senators as uh, I think as we truly perceive them to be, which, which is uh, just not interested in, in, in helping people, not interested in the betterment of, of the galaxy. They have no problem with the, with the Emperor and his, his uh, um, what Mon has termed overreaching uh, when it comes to re the resentencing of prisoners and all these different tactics that are uh, uh, all the signs of a totalitarian regime. Uh, and, and, you know, you're witnessing senators turning the lights off in their diocese and leaving the platform. They don't want to hear uh, more 
of, of Mon Mothma on her on her soapbox and, and, and things of that nature. Uh, it, it really it really speaks to like the the sort of fundamental lack of, of any the the illusion of democracy in, in, in Palpatine's empire. Uh, but it's also sort of a callback to, uh, you know, we just talked about it in our episode where we talked about some of the, the Dooku episodes for Tales of the Jedi uh, and the corruption of the senators and, and the corruption of the Senate and how uh, that disillusioned uh, Count Dooku in, into eventually leaving the Jedi Order. And and the, the frustration of, of the senators like Mon Mothma and Bail Organa and, and those few, like the ones we, we glimpsed at, the uh, at Yavin Five on in, in in Rogue One when they were too scared to take the chance and launch the attack on Scarif, I I think you you really start to see and and feel why it was that these senators feel this way. Uh, they they are so marginalized, they are so minimalized that they, they they have no significance, no importance. Like they talk about, they want to do things the old way. They want the diplomacy. They want they want politics to prevail and 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 to sue for peace diplomatically even though it's not a realistic possibility. So you, you see Mon Mothma's mounting frustration. Uh, and and I, I think it has to, we have to get to the point with Mon uh, where an armed rebellion is on the table. Again, she's, a, she's always been portrayed as, as something of a pacifist from a, from a fairly pacifist planet. Uh, but Mon's going to have to make the realization that, that something has to galvanize the galaxy, right? And, and in Star Wars, it's Scarif. It's, it's the Death Star plans. It's all these things. And we're not there yet. And even Mon, is, at this point in her <laughs> time with the, with the Rebellion, I don't think she quite understands the grasp of what Luthen is trying to, to A, teach her, but also show uh, when it comes to, to the resolve needed to battle the Empire. She's not there yet. Uh, but seeing seeing senators just turn off their lights and leave while she's addressing, oof, that's got to sting. That's got to be harsh. Uh, and then you, then she comes home, finds out her cousin's around. We're like, who's her cousin? It's not super surprising uh, that it's revealed to be Vel. Uh, Vel is the as, as it was sort of alluded to last last week's and last week's episode, uh, uh, the the rich girl who ran away from her family. Uh, so not too surprising that she's uh, Chandrillan and is connected to Mon Mothma and that they're all in this sort of together now, sort of a family affair, doing this 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 business with Luthen. Uh, she's returned. She's all done up, looks fancy, looking like a like the rich girl that, uh, that uh, <laughs> Cinda believes her to be. Uh, and, and also very interesting that, that Vel uses Cinda's line against Mon Mothma when like the rebellion comes first, the fight comes first, the cause comes first, we take what's left. Uh, so I thought that was an interesting way to use that line, for Vel to take that line that was used against her and used it against Mon. Uh, really kind of another, another shot. Uh, another shot in this episode, too, is, 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 is Mon's daughter, Lita, just being just so snarky and rude to her mother. Uh, uh, talking about how her dad lets her do whatever she wants. Well, that's that's great. We like to hear that. We love and spoiled spoiled children on this podcast. We don't. We really don't. <laughs> so, so again, you, you're seeing the sort of the struggle that she has at home. And and again, when Vel comes home and and she thinks she has someone to talk to, uh, someone who would would understand her frustrations uh, with with Luthen and what's going on with the with the rebellion, uh, she finds that that falls on deaf ears. Vel's not having any of it. Vel's in, in for the cause. She's in for a penny and for a pound. Uh, so, so Mon's doubts and recriminations, uh, they, they, they weigh not on Vel. 
Uh, and, and Val basically says, uh, "Hey, stiff upper lip, let's go. We got, we got, we got, we got fightings to do." Um, <laughs> so that's all very interesting stuff. Uh, it's also interesting when they have the dinner sequence together because then Perrin gets involved, taking more shots, uh, not only at Mon but also at Vel, sort of talking about how uh, Vel missed her chance to be uh, uh, settled down with a man by this point. And again, that sort of that there's a we can get into the the whole. Um, misogynistic element of that Vel's uh, sexuality uh, uh, there's a lot to kind of pick apart there but but again parents sort of going after these very traditional I- ideologies is not doing him any favors in our eyes as an audience I don't think so that, that's a sort of an interesting element as well and then the fact we find out that that Perrin has been making very disparaging remarks about Mon Mothma to to their daughter to Lyda uh, uh, talking about how Tay Coleman's been coming around the house more often and that's that's your mom's old boyfriend blah 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 just really nasty stuff going on in that house uh, uh, passive aggressive snarkiness it's just the ooh and, and, and Mon's just there for the appearances right you have to keep these appearances up You'd like to think she could get her house in order, but it's just not going to happen. Uh, they they seem like they are, they, we, like we talked about in the very first episode of the show, they seem like they're very entrenched in what the Empire presents to the elite. They they seem to be very much into that lifestyle. I think they would, that, that Perrin and Lyda would both be loath to not have that lifestyle at their fingertips. Um, so the idea of having to go on the run, to go into hiding, uh, to support a rebellion, to upturn the Empire... Something dramatic will have to happen for them to, to have their, their ideologies shaken at such a fundamental level, and and we'll see what what the course of action, uh, that that all plays out in. We, we, we will find out. I suspect. I sort of think you'll get more out of the parent character at some point. We'll 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 start to find out there's there are more depths to him at some point, um, but we have to figure out what it's going to take to prod him into action. What's going to prod him into, into realizing, uh. What's going on in the galaxy is is not good. Uh, so so, uh, but something will have to shake him to his his fundamental core for that to happen. And I really only base that idea on the fact that that uh, uh, the actor playing playing parent, I believe it's Alistair, Alistair uh, I want to say McKenzie. I might have it backwards though. I might have it mixed up. Is is a very talented actor. So why not let him get, get to do something more than just be like this pompous butt. <laughs> I mean, he's doing a good job of it. Don't get me wrong. But I'd, I'd like to see us explore some more of that dynamic. That could be a lot of fun. It'd be very, very interesting. Um, but I want to shift. In case you haven't noticed, I'm saving all of Narkina 5 for the end of the episode. Uh, I'm going to talk about all of that at once because there's a lot, there's a lot going on. So let's, let's talk about Cyril Karn's I- I- involvement in this episode. Um, <laughs> yeah, stalkery? Yeah, I think so. It's a bit much, right? Yeah, he's stalking uh, Deidre Marrow to ISB headquarters. Uh, and, and we see him in a very different light. Is he fanatical? Is he crazed? Is he obsessed? It's, it's very creepy. It's very weird. It's kind of uncomfortable. Uh, and I don't think Marrow's quite sure what to, what to do about it. She, she threatens him, says he could be arrested, says he could be detained. But she makes no uh, uh, action to do so. And I, I want to sort of get into... I want, to, I want them to explore why that is if she's just giving this individual a chance like maybe she knows he's been wronged on some level so she's trying to give him a chance to kind of move on and rebound with this second chance that he was granted uh he cyril achieved a promotion from what they said about him after their meeting last time it got him a promotion at work which made his mother very very happy 
Uh, we also got to explore some more time with Cyril's mom. Uh, and, and that relationship is so interestingly bizarre as well. You know, Cyril uh, talks about how she snoops in his room, goes into his private box. He has ways of knowing these things. Uh, and then and she talks about him and, and uh, uh, makes him almost like a, like a commodity. Like an, like, uh, uh, she talks about her return on investment with him. Uh, and it's not until he relays the information about the promotion that she seems to be uh, – shows any sort of genuine affection for him for the, for the first real time on the show and, and how her uncle, uh, uncle Harlow will be so proud that he's gotten this, this recognition at, at, at work and a promotion. But again, it's not what he wants. He's still fixated on Cassian. Uh, and is, is, is a little of that fixation rubbing off now on G. Romero because he sort of sees her as a kindred spirit in this pursuit of imperial justice, of imperial order. Um, I'm fascinated by what they're, what's going to end up happening with this. Uh, I, I think there's a lot of different directions for, for Karn's character to go. Uh, and whether that, that leads him to the ISB, which would be uh, interesting, if not a tad predictable, um, is, is, is at least suggested in, in the episode. But I, I sort of like the element of, of Cyril Karn as this wild card element uh, that may actually end up getting in the way <laughs> of, of the ISB's pursuit of Cassian Endor and in, in his own pursuit for a, like a personal vengeance against Cassian for the perceived wrongs that Andor has done against him. So, again, there's a, there's a lot up in the air here, and, and one of my favorite elements of the show is, like, none of these characters are on a clear path, right? They're, 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 we don't know really what's going to happen. The only character that we know lives through this show is Cassian because he has a fate already lined up for himself. Um, so what the final fate of, of Cyril Karn, Deidre Mero, Bix, Marva, uh, 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 Mon Mothma's family, Luthen Rael, Clea, all these characters that we're meeting in the, in the show, Vel, Senta, all of them, we don't know their fates, but we're getting invested in them, much like uh, Cyril's mom is invested in her son for financial gain, I guess. <laughs> we're not invested in that way. We're invested in a storytelling manner. Uh, so so I really enjoy that that... They've gotten us to follow these characters, and we want to see what their paths are. And they're not clear-cut. They're not predetermined. We don't know uh, what their ultimate fates will be. And I think that really adds a lot to the show. In a show where we know the main character will make it out uh, only to meet his death in Rogue One. But there's so many characters in the show. Oh, and again, we know Mon Mothmas is going to make it out too. Spoilers on that one. But, but so many other characters, so many of, of our supporting cast... Uh, part of this amazing ensemble they brought together, uh, we don't know the fates of. Uh, and, and these final three episodes, ooh, there could be a lot of sad people at the end of this first season. We will have to see. We will have to see because, again, Andor, Andor does have a path. Uh, and will he be more involved, invested in the rebellion by the end of this first season? We're going to find out because uh, right now that's still not even, even looking like a sure thing at the moment. Uh, but yes. Cyril Karn, total creeper. <laughs> but what level would they take it to next is sort of where I want to know. Uh, there's another interesting element to the ISB element to, uh, to the ISB portion of this story, uh, and it's that they've they've captured a pilot, and it it turns out to be to be one of uh, this guy Krieger's men who was referenced in last week's episode. That's what Luth and Rael was doing, meeting with Saw Gerrera. He wanted Saw to support Krieger, uh, and in this. Uh, 
planned attack against the power station on Spellhouse. Well, one of Krieger's men has now been captured near Steergard, uh, and, and Gorst was used to extract the information from this pilot. And now the ISB knows about the imminent attack on Spellhouse. So it seems like Saw Gerrera was correct in his assessment on Krieger. And uh, he's an ox of a man, slow-witted and stupid. <laughs> and, and apparently he's brought in the wrong people because that guy was caught, detained by the Empire, questioned, interrogated, and spilled his guts. Uh, and now the ISB will be planning a counteraction. They're, they will be there to uh, anticipate any rebel plot against the power, the power station on Spellhouse. Uh, so that's going to be very, very interesting to see take hold. And how, just how invested in, in supporting that is Luthen Rail, because that will put him in a very bad position as well if the ISB will be waiting for an imminent attack on Spellhouse. So a lot of big things happening there. And again, these, these are some of those details that is why I like to watch the show with the subtitles. Because, again, you hear those names. So you're like, Spellhouse, boom, I remember that. <laughs> I don't know. Something that I just need a little extra a visual aid. So reading the words helps. Anyways, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So a plot in place, the ISB ready to spring into action and catch themselves some rebels. I need to backtrack for a moment real quick here and go back to Mon Mothma because we didn't get to talk about Mon and, and Tay Coma discussing the finances. Uh, uh, Tay is in there, and he's trying to clean up a bit of the mess that Mon Mothma had made, trying to shuttle funds around to support Luthen Rael's uh, growing rebel network. And and it's, it's kind of gnarly. <laughs> There's a big $400,000 uh, credit, no, 400000 credit, uh, uh, missing that looks very strange and suspicious. They don't know how to replace that, and when the Imperial auditors come checking, it'll be a very big red flag. Uh, and and Colma's not quite sure how to uh, get this past the auditors unless they were able to make a massive deposit, uh, and that is going to force Mon Mothma to meet with a very unscrupulous member of Shandrillan society, a Davo Skulden. Uh, who who is not a banker in her estimation, but a thug. So I, I, again, the criminal element of Chandril in society uh, will be meeting with Mon Mothma, and again, she's she's sort of back into a corner here, and Mon's gonna have to get her hands dirty, and that is something that she's not accustomed to. So I'm very much looking forward to that element of the storyline taking place and shaping as well. As as again, Mon still believes she can she can do things above board, keep her hands clean not be in the fight so much that's not the case and she's about to learn uh what she's gonna have to do to protect herself to protect her family if if because if an imperial auto was to find all that money missing they're gonna be in a lot of trouble it's gonna be real bad for mon mothma where that four hundred thousand credits uh, to go unaccounted for uh unexplained sums of money missing and those numbers would definitely get the isb over to her house in a hurry in a hurry all right, I think that has us mostly caught up, so it's time to shift our focus to what's going on on Narkina 5, and we'll do that right after this. How many shifts do you have left? 2.17. So, tell me what you know before you go. You've been warned. You think they care what we say? You're on your own with this. Why? You think they're listening? You think they care enough to make an effort? Like you would know. I know this. They don't need to care. 
All they need to do is turn this floor on twice a day and keep their numbers rolling. Why bother listening to us? We are nothing to them. Melch is right. We're cheaper than droids and easier to replace. Good luck to you. You think they care what we say? Nobody's listening. Nobody. How many guards on each level? Oh, so Narkina 5. So much happening on Narkina 5 in this episode. And, and uh, you know, I sort of speculated a little bit last week if, if, if Andor was maybe sort of falling victim to the menial rewards of the uh, Imperial Prison Complex system. But no, 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 that's not the case. We were, I was, I was, like a lot of other people, <laughs> I'm not taking credit for this. He's biding his time. He's got a plan. He's trying to figure things out, get a lay of the land. Uh, and, and, and formulate the best way to attack this system to to figure out how to get out of this prison. And he's not alone. He's he's made enough. He's got enough uh, uh, allies in the prison, if you will, that are that are contacting other people that are t talking on other levels of the complex, trying to get some sort of information going on. Again, that's one of the big assets that the Empire has going for it in this in this prison is that the prisoners are all isolated. They can't communicate with each other. So if something happens on one level of the base or one side of the base from the, I shouldn't say base, but from the complex, uh, they don't know about it. You know, information is, 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 is isolated and uh, hard to come by. And, and when there is information, it goes rapidly out of control with, with rumor, speculation, idle gossip, those kind of things. Uh, so, so when we catch up with Andor initially in this episode, uh, you know, he's doing, he's working at his table, he's with his crew, uh, they're doing what they're supposed to do, they're meeting their quota, you know, you still don't want to get shocked by the by the floor, right? You still don't have your your magic snow boots on, uh, so you want to avoid that. But he's he's again he's making inroads. They've they've figured out that the lift isn't connected to the system. So if they were to be on the lift, they wouldn't get shocked. And they're 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 looking for weaknesses. Uh, and and Cassian's cutting a pipe over in the in the the Star Wars bathroom. You get to see a Star Wars bathroom. We're gonna see Star Wars bathrooms in the show. We're breaking all kinds of. Uh, 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 trends, if you will, for Star Wars. We're seeing all the things, uh, and it's 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 been really really interesting to do. And and Cassian is trying to get information, and he knows that that Ke that Kino is one of these guys who has a lot of the information that he needs, uh, but he can't get it right. Like he uh, Kino, played by Andy Serkis, he's been there a long time. He as as sort of like the warden who supports this system of the prisoners keeping everybody in check and on point just doing their menial tasks. Um, he's not willing to share that information. He thinks the Empire is listening. He thinks the Empire is monitoring all the, all the communications. And, and from that, that clip we just played, you know, Cassian is, is sort of like the... I don't know if I'm going to use the, the voice of reason necessarily, but he has a unique understanding of the Empire's arrogance, of their... Um, sense of self-importance, as, as we've discussed throughout the, our, our coverage of the show. Uh, they don't care. They're ambivalent because they think that they are better, that they are bigger than these people, and it doesn't matter. All they, and he says it. All they do is turn that floor on, and that regulates things. So why bother listening? Why bother eavesdropping? It's a waste of their time and resources, right? These people are nobodies. And, and, and Kino hasn't bought into that. But we start to see Kino crack a little bit in this episode. This is, is a really strong episode for, again, for our wonderful supporting cast. Uh, and now that we're spending more time with the prisoners here on Narkina 5, uh, you know, Melshi in particular, one, a familiar face that we know from Rogue, Run, well, Rogue One, uh, you know, we, we're starting to like, kind of puzzle some of the things out. 
like the efforts that are being made, the sort of resistance happening within the prison. But Kino's one of these guys. He has a little bit of of, of his own. Uh, he believes he, he he sort of holds his own fate in his hands, right? He has like his 217 day shifts left uh, before he's free, and like that's his goal. That's his end game. He wants to get out. He's gonna do his shifts. He's gonna put his head down, do his shifts, and get out. That's it. And anybody who's going to get in the way of that, he's not going to help them. He's not going to support them. You know, it, it's prison. You're kind of in there for yourself. Cassian's trying to get out, but he's going to take everybody, as many people out as he can because he knows that he can't do it alone, right? So everyone has to be able to help in this. What starts to crack Kino, though, is this idea that something's happened on level two. There's been some sort of incident. You know, we, we talked about how uh, uh, I think it's Tag has a, has a, a hand signal going on through the windows to a friend on the other side of the base, other side of the complex, uh, and, and they're passing information along as best they can with these hand signals. And then a passing shift, uh, you know, the, on a shift change, the two shifts pass each other. And they're like, hey, hey, did you hear about, you know, what happened on level two? They fried everybody, 100 men dead. And, they're, you know, people start to lose it a little bit. Kino starts to crack. Melshi comes after him a little bit. And Cassian, again, with that unique understanding he has of the Empire, sort of talks Kino down. He's like, hey, hey, hey. We can't let the Empire know that we know anything. That's going to put us all at danger, at risk. Uh, and again, they don't know what they know. It's just what's happened, what's going on here, what's the process. Uh, uh, but something bad has happened at the base. The prisoners are shook up now, and, and the Empire is trying to squash it as best they can uh, before the other prisoners find out and... Again, the Empire has the upper hand here, or, or Volt's not going to do much The you know, they're, other than affect productivity, right? The Empire wants to stay on, on, on schedule, on quota, with whatever it is they're building. Uh, I, I don't think anyone's had any luck trying to figure out exactly what it is they're building. Uh, there was sort of a, a, an interesting uh, theory going around on the Internet about how one level is all about assembling these things, and another level is all about taking them apart. <laughs> so it's just like this crazy, weird, vicious cycle. Uh, I tend to think that they're just like uh, imperial stop signs that they're <laughs> put out on a planet somewhere. I have no idea what they are. <laughs> or they're just some kind of weird gear in an ad at. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but it, it would there would be something very amusing about the idea that one level puts them together, another level takes them apart, and it's just this crazy, vicious cycle of life uh, for these prisoners. Uh, it is it is after one shift. Uh, the the old timer in the group, Olaf, uh, he's having a he's having a bad day of thing a bad time of things. He's been getting slower. His his he has dexterity. He's he's not as nimble getting some of this work done as he used to be. And the, the tables are loyal, right? They don't they don't throw him out. They don't they don't they try to cover for him. They try to try to uh, uh, shield him from the eyes of the Imperials, you know. Uh, uh, and then he he's having a, a medical situations occurring to him at at the end of one shift, uh, and and. And and Kino and Cassian, uh, again, no one knows he's Cassian. He's still Kiff to most of them. Uh, they're they're trying to aid him out, and they got to get a doctor because something bad's happening with him. Uh, and and basically, you find out that Olaf's stroked out. Uh, he's not going to survive this. And the doctor keeps making these these comments uh, about about how you know this is for the best. It, this is really going to be better for him in in a week. Another week like this, you're all going to be wishing you got the same treatment. And and. Again, Kino, Kino's sort of like, what are you talking about? Because the doctor guy is, is like, you got to get your guys under control. Now, again, the 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 doctor, the the physician, 
the attendant, whatever you want to call him. I don't know if he's a real doctor. He seems to be qualified in, in basic first aid at the very least. Um, it is another prisoner. But instead of the orange stripes on his, on his suit, he has blue. So that seems to indicate he's a medical personnel. Uh, and he knows more than the rest of the prisoners. And now they're trying to – Cassian and, and Kino are now attempting to get any information from the doctor. Uh, the doctor tells the, the Imperial supervisor that he needs a, a ba body bag and a trolley. So that sends him off. And now it's time for a little bit of uh, – a little heart-to-heart -heart here. Gets, getting some truth time. I made a mistake. A man who was just released on four ended up back on two the next day. Work got out on the floor and then they killed them all. You need those other men there? They're just leaving. Now. If he was released, you heard me. No one's getting out, are they? Not now. Not after this. At least your friend is free. You two, on program now. Oh, hands on your heads. Oh, and that's not going to do well. That that shatters <laughs> Kino's perceptions of what he thinks going on here at the prison. His 217 now means absolutely nothing, and he flips on a freaking dime here. Let's go ahead and check out the rest of the sequence. Move. Let's go. Come on, let's go. Now. Let's go. How many guards on each level? Never more than 12. And that is just the ratcheting of the tension even further. But now Kino's on board. It's time to make their escape because no one is getting off Narkina 5 ever. Uh, and something has to be done about it because Cassian has things to do in the galaxy. Gosh darn it. Oh, the way this episode ends is just juicy. It's so delectable. And again, this episode's really strong in the sense of, of just showing just how bad the Empire is. Life under the Empire is bad, bad, bad. Again, this guy Kino just wants to, you know, whatever crime he committed, whether he did it or not, he's just going to serve his time out and get out and go back to his life, pick up whatever pieces he has left. That's not happening now. It's over. And and again, watching Circus's Andy Circus's progression with the character, how he sort of changes throughout this 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 uh, 50 45 minute long episode of the show uh, is is remarkable. And then you see the 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 cold resolve on his face as he walks down that corridor with Cassian at the end. Uh, and, and and it's like, yeah, all right. I, I get it now. I, I see exactly what you were saying. You were right all along, and uh, it's time to move forward with Plan B, because Plan A sucks. <laughs> oh, and again, it's just that steady ratcheting. Just one click, two clicks, the tension. Click, click, click. Oh, stretch taut. My nerves frayed. Oh, it's, it's wonderful. It's fantastic. I look so forward to Wednesdays now. I can't, I can't even tell you. And I think I have secured Wednesdays off from work for the rest of the month. So, uh, uh, for the rest of the, the run of Andor. So, we should be A-OK -okay with me getting this coverage out day of. Because I can't wait to watch this freaking show. I love it so gosh darn much. I have talked to you all about it before. This has got to be my favorite thing Star Wars is doing right now. And I say that as someone who ardent, ardent is, is, 
feverishly in love with, with the Mandalorian and and I I love me some Book of Boba Fett and and everything Kenobi all the stuff that they've done I have been here for all of it but something about Andor it is it is scratching that itch that is right in the middle of my shoulder blades and it feels so good so give me more I these final three episodes that we're getting getting ready for are going to be most excellent indeed I think that's everything I have to say about this episode for you. Um, let me just check my notes real quick here. Yeah, I think we're good. I think I've, I think I hit everything I wanted to talk about. It's a great episode. I plan on watching it again immediately. Um, <laughs> oh, this show's just been an absolute delight. It's a it's a it's a just a treasure trove of, of joy for me, and not joy like in the. It's so happy. It just makes me happy watching this. It really, really does. So another reminder, uh, please make sure you're following us on social media uh, at Mando underscore Vision on Twitter and Instagram. You can email the show in long form, MandoVisionTom at gmail.com. Make sure you're liking, subscribing, following, and sharing the show with all the Mandalorians in your covert. If you want to support the show by giving us some sweet, sweet, sweet five-star reviews, those are truly appreciated, truly helpful. And again, we are entering the season of giving, so give some sweet, sweet, sweet five-star reviews we thank you in advance and just just to remind you they really do help the small podcasts like us and so many others stand out not get lost in the shuffle of the algorithm and and we appreciate you so so much if you'd like to help the show financially you can do that as well head on over to our patreon page uh www.patreon.com forward slash mandavision you can join mandavision nation become a, a no it's yeah <laughs> so messed up right now oh my gosh join Buckethead Nation join uh, our fellow Mandavision maniacs uh, our our good friends the Aspen Hill Chody the Batman of Bayho Jeff Nail Jeff's got a great podcast check it out called Ringing Ear it's it's really really good thanks to Evil Circle the evilest of all circles the Squid Master General Brian Broussard the New Jersey Devil Mark Wegemer our very own Joker and Harley Quinn Brian and Krista of Pariah Brewing in Baltimore, Maryland and I will be the visiting Pariah in Baltimore, Maryland in this month of November, get ready, Buckethead Nation. Maybe we can have a pariah meetup. Wouldn't that be fun? I'll see all three of you who listen to the show there. Woohoo! <laughs> the Beer Hop Reader General, Jesus Beer Hop. Thank you so much. The Silent Assassin, he who should not be named. Syndicate Ram, co host of Come On. It's still good. He'll be one of the three there. I'm betting money on it. All right? So <laughs> get ready for that, pariah. Brace yourselves. All right, let's get out of here. Uh, what else we got for you? Hey, stay tuned. And or Wednesdays, every Wednesday from here through November. Uh, and then we'll get back into some other stuff. We'll talk about that later, though. That's, that's for another show. All right. This show can only end. Or, this, whew, this podcast can only end one way. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way. I find that answer vague and unconvincing.